You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and uh, I got solicited your Twitter questions uh, earlier today. Did that on Twitter, of course. And uh, you really, really came through. I mean, I figured this was a good time to uh, do at least a segment on your emails because uh, draft day is coming up soon still for a lot of us. Uh, I mean, I've done a bunch of drafts. I've still got one more coming up this weekend. This weekend's probably uh, draft day for a whole lot of folks. So try to help you out. And uh, not necessarily the last time I'm going to do it before this weekend, but definitely wanted to uh, get at least a little bit ahead of the game and uh, answer some questions today. So I got a whole bunch of those. Uh, I've also got Fred Zinke back on the show and uh, always love having Fred on the show. And of course, I just saw Fred a few days ago in New York for Tout Wars and He's always a very formidable opponent. Of course, everybody is because uh, they're in Tout Wars. But uh, Fred did a, a uh, write-up on his uh, auctioning experience and was pretty interesting. And looking forward to asking him about that and uh, just about his team in general. And uh, Fred also tweeted out a little bit earlier today that he hates mock drafts. So maybe I'll ask him about that too while I'm at it. We had uh, another signing. Uh, they're getting fewer and farther between as more and more of the free agents are finally finding homes. But one that was still out there, uh, Alex Cobb, he has now made his home uh, with the Baltimore Orioles, signing for four years and $57 million. And coming off of a season that was certainly more valuable for the Rays than it was for us fantasy owners. Had a 3.66 ERA, but not a whole lot of strikeouts. A 17.3% strikeout rate for Cobb. Uh, good control, which he usually does have, but not the usual uh, high ground ball rate that we're, we're accustomed to uh, from Cobb, or at least you know pre-Tommy John. And, uh, well, Cobb's never been a, a big strikeout guy. He was not somebody that you figured might be a liability in that category. And I think you could uh, safely say that he was last season. And, you know, a lot of people, when, when the, uh, the Orioles signed Andrew Kashner, and yeah, I know I've talked more than enough about Andrew Kashner over the last uh, uh, months, uh, really even going back to last season. But, you know, uh, what I heard and read over and over again is, boy, I don't like the signing for Kashner, him going to Camden Yards. I got to say, I like it less, even less so for Alex Cobb uh, because he is not, or at least last season, wasn't quite as contact friendly as Kashner was. Uh, really, the only major league pitcher that you could argue was as, as contact friendly as Kashner was Ty Block. But again, Cobb was a below average strikeout pitcher. And unlike Kashner, and the reason why I talk about Kashner so much, is that Cobb wasn't especially. Uh, notable for his ability to prevent extra base hits. And that was especially true away from Tropicana Field. So you can see where I'm going with this. The Trop, a pretty nice pitcher's park. But away from the Trop, a 4.72 ERA for Cobb last season. So, you know, whereas Kashner, maybe he can you know repeat that uh, extremely good, uh, you know, uh, ability to limit home runs and limit extra base hits in general. But Cobb, we don't even really have the, uh, you know, the track record for that, aside from his ability to induce grounders. So maybe he does get back to that. That would certainly help. The other thing uh, that I read uh, just uh, shortly before the show here from uh, Britt Giroli of MLB.com is that Cobb told her that he's planning on bringing his changeup back. That he didn't use it, uh, didn't use it that much last season. Uh, was more selective in terms of his arsenal, protecting the elbow after the Tommy John surgery. But he plans on employing the changeup much more uh, often this season. Uh, so that could be something maybe that helps Cobb to uh, get his strikeout rate back up to at least, a, you know, sort of an, an average 
level. Uh, but you know, I've, I've got my skepticism. I'm, I'm certainly I haven't been tar- targeting Cobb in trades, uh, and and not just because he was a free agent, but just because last season really concerned me. And now that he's going to Camden Yards, uh, I would say it concerns me even more. Uh, according to the Baltimore Sun, uh, Cobb will not be ready to join the Orioles' rotation uh, for opening day. Makes sense. I mean, it's uh, just barely over a week away. Uh, there is no precise timetable, but uh, you got to figure that he's going to need at least, I'd say, maybe he'll make one start in spring training and then probably need two, two or three more. Uh, that was, uh, I don't remember exactly where that came from, but that was in that Baltimore Sun piece saying that uh, he may need three or four starts total. Maybe it was even as many as five. So, uh, you know, I think we're we're not looking at seeing Alex Cobb for the first, uh, you know, probably a couple of weeks of the regular season. So now what, what that means for the competitors, for uh, the prior competitors for the fifth starter spot, uh, Miguel Castro and um, uh, Nestor Cortez, the Rule 5 pick, uh, Mike Wright also in that mix. I, I would presume one of them would fill in for uh, Cobb for the for the first two, three weeks, however long it is that he needs. Uh, and the Orioles will need a fifth starter almost right away. They've got, I think it's the Friday off of uh, next week, that first week. But then they've got a whole bunch of games in a row. So they're going to need a fifth starter. Uh, now, Miguel Castro has some options. So, uh, and I don't recall where I saw this either, but I uh, saw it surmised that Castro could be uh, sort of a natural fit as the sixth starter because there's the possibility of sending him to the Miners and keeping him stretched out there, whereas Cortez, if the Orioles keep him, he's, you know, he's a Rule 5 guy. He's got to stay on the Major League squad. I don't think Wright has any options, so uh, that could be a plus for Castro, uh, not only maybe to get a, a start or two early on, but maybe to be the next in line if the Orioles needed somebody due to injury or, or demotion or what have you. So um, just something to keep in mind. And, and, of course, as you know, I'm a Miguel Castro fan, so uh, I'd like to see it work out that way. In other news, Daniel Murphy has acknowledged what I think many of us uh, fantasy owners have been assuming, that he is not going to be ready uh, to be in the opening day lineup for the Nationals. Uh, he, uh, uh, This was reported according to Masson.com. So we'll see a little bit probably a Howie Kendrick and Wilmer Defoe early on this season. Uh, so if you're you know thinking about some uh, deeper league second base possibilities, for uh, the first week, maybe first couple of weeks, because I'm not exactly sure when Murphy will be ready to return. Those are a couple of names to remember. In terms of, uh, you know, maybe more thinking about like a 12-team mixed league, and you're going to be without Murphy for a little while, uh, Josh Harrison is still out there in a good number of uh, leagues in that format. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I have any shares of Harrison. And he's the sort of player that, He's not terribly exciting, but he helps in a number of areas. And he was one player who, in a sort of low-key way, took part in the fly ball revolution last year. Uh, And, you know, he could uh, chip in with, you know, maybe 15 or so home runs. You figure he should be good for somewhere in the double digits, 12, 15 in that neighborhood for stolen bases, and could be pretty good for batting average. So that's not a bad guy to have fill in. Uh, you've got Devin Travis, who at least early on should get some regular playing time and should help with batting average, maybe chip in a little bit of power. And then you got uh, Brandon Drury, again, early on, should get regular playing time, could provide a lot of power. And somebody I picked up in the reserve rounds of, of Tot War, so we're talking about somebody who's pretty available even in some deepish kind of formats uh that's logan forsyth and you know i think he's really getting overlooked and he granted he's coming off of a season where he missed a lot of time and he didn't hit all that well when he did play but the underlying peripherals in terms of uh contact plate discipline 
uh, or uh, in terms of uh, uh, power and plate discipline, looked pretty good. So I think uh, he is a realistic option in a 12-team mixed league in, in this kind of scenario where if you need somebody uh, like a, a Daniel Murphy fill-in, uh, that's a name I'd toss out there too if uh, one of your other targets is not available. Uh, Michael Brantley, finally going to make his Cactus League debut tonight, according to the Cleveland Plain Dealer. So hopefully we'll uh, have some better news, uh, even better news on, on Michael Brantley in days to come. See how he does in his initial uh, exhibition games. And Michael Conforto already playing in some games, but playing minor league games. And so he played the game yesterday. Today he's playing in a, a minor league intramural game. And he hit two home runs, or at least last time I looked, he hit two home runs. Maybe he hit more. So uh, nice uh, developments there for Michael Conforto. Jose Abreu, uh, he was hurt in yesterday's game, left with a hamstring strain. But according to the Chicago Sun-Times, Abreu uh, is, expects to be back no later than Friday. So, you know, doing the, the quick math here, today is, is Wednesday. That means maybe he's back tomorrow even. So it does not sound like a serious injury uh, for Jose Abreu, fortunately. And uh, also uh, backup catcher candidate Kevin Smith in that same game left with a left leg injury. So that does not sound nearly uh, so good for Smith, although I think he was probably on the outside of that competition. Uh, Omar Narvaez uh, probably, I would think, uh, going to be the backup anyway uh, to Wellington Castillo. But... Uh, apparently not very good news there for uh, Kevin Smith. So I've got quite a few more news items to get to, but first of all, let me remind you to go check out Fantrax.com if you haven't done so already. There you can create the ultimate dynasty keeper or redraft fantasy league using Fantrax's free commissioner product. Find out how it feels to have the deepest player pool, multi-team trades, plus player salary and contract options right at your fingertips, and all of these are fully customizable. And with Fantrax Treasurer, you can set your league entry fees and safely distribute payouts without a third party so that you don't have to go and track down owners for payment. And when you register, don't forget to enter the promo code AL. There's a little box at the bottom of the registration form. For the promo code, just simply enter promo code AL, AL, uh, that gives you a chance to win 10 private consultations with me. I am selling those packages of private consultations on my own website. The 10-pack uh, normally would cost you $109. This puts you in a drawing to possibly win that package for absolutely free. All you got to do to get in that drawing is enter the promo code AL. So go and find out why Fantrax is the home of fantasy sports and check out Fantrax.com today. All righty, some Red Sox rotation news. Alex Cora has announced his one, two, three pitchers. Chris Sale, David Price, and Rick Porcello. I don't think there's any surprise there. Also, the tentative plan is for Brian Johnson, not the ACDC singer, but the pitcher, to start game five of the season. Game four is TBD, but a possibility of this was very surprising to me. It could be Eduardo Rodriguez, who in early reports looked like he wasn't going to be back till maybe May or June. He's in play now to start the fourth game of the season, according to the Boston Globe. So that's definitely something to watch there and something to keep in mind for your upcoming drafts. And according to uh, Andy McCullough of the LA Times, uh, Cody Bellinger, uh, or according to Dave Roberts anyways, uh, Cody Bellinger is fine after having to have left Tuesday's game when he uh, fouled the ball off of his leg. So appears no big deal there for Cody Bellinger, and that's very good news. Got some Padres outfield news. This has been an interesting situation all spring. And I don't just mean since yesterday. I mean, you know, spring training. Uh, Alex Dickerson is, is going to have Tommy John surgery on his left elbow, so he will miss the entire 2018 season. Could be back uh, for next spring training. So that's very disappointing for Dickerson, who missed all of last season as well. And also not great news for Franchi Cordero. He's been out for several days with a groin injury. He did run yesterday, Tuesday. So 
at least some good news there. That's the first time that Cordell Henrat had run since sustaining the injury. He may resume playing sometime this week, according to the San Diego Union Tribune. So that is good, but he is far enough behind that it looks like he has got a very slim chance of cracking the uh, Padres starting outfield. That same report said that probably you're going to see Jose Perella in left field, uh, and you'll have Will Myers in right, although it could be vice versa. Uh, of course, Manny Margot in center. So Frenchy Cordero looking like uh, he's going to be shut out. And now just the question is, can can he make uh, even make the major league roster for opening day? And uh, going to wrap up the segment here with a, uh, a sort of a one-up, one-down. Luis Giolito c- continued a very good spring through six and a third innings against the Rangers on Tuesday. No runs, only two hits. And so now he's up to 17 two-thirds innings for the spring, only four runs allowed, earned runs, excuse me, five runs total. And Giolito struck out 17 batters in those 17 and two-thirds innings and walked only four. So he's, uh, uh, his average ADP is 195 on fan tracks, went for just a dollar to Tim McLeod in the Tout Wars mixed auction. And, and Giolito, by the way, uh, reportedly hitting 95 uh, on his fastball in spring training. So maybe there's uh, there's something to these good stats. The one down is Alex Gordon. He may have to go to minors camp because he's having such a miserable spring. But uh, anyhow, do have to head to break right now. And when we get back, I'm going to answer a whole bunch of your questions from Twitter. So stick around. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. You are still listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. And I've got a whole bunch of Twitter questions to answer. So thank you so much, listeners and Twitter followers, for coming through with that. Hopefully uh, these questions can help some other folks as well. That is always the goal. And uh, if your goal is to find the perfect daily fantasy site for the casual recreational player, well, Fantasy Factor has you covered because they are the perfect, uh, perfect daily fantasy site for the casual recreational player. They've got flatter prize pools, smaller fields, and single entry contests only. Fancy Factor always has fun contests going. Right now, there's free entry, March Madness bracket, a Sweet 16 bracket, and a Fantasy Factor uh, $100,000 home run derby this year. So simply sign up and enter at www.fantasyfactor.com. Dot com. So here we go. I got a lot of questions. We're going to try my best to get to them all. So I'm not going to waste any time here. Get right to it. This first one from at Goldie Harp Trout. So I guess we're learning something about uh, this uh, person's rankings. I don't know. But the question is, what is my production ceiling for Joe Musgrove this year? Now, I like the question because it's asking for the ceiling. And I think there's a great range of possibilities for uh, Joe Musgrove this year. But if we're talking best case scenario, the best case scenario was really that he takes what he did in the Astros bullpen last year in the second half. And he's able to replicate that as a starter in terms of the rate stats. Again, I don't think it's likely, but uh, there was a report out a week or two ago that he is trying to, um, you know, basically take some of the changes that he made when he moved to the bullpen 
and uh, in terms of uh, his delivery and, and in terms of just his whole approach and uh, bring that to his work as a starter. So uh, what that would mean is pretty close to a strikeout per inning. And I'm, I'm, he, he did better than that uh, in, the, in the bullpen. I, don't, I, I think even the best case scenario, we can't really expect that. But let's say, uh, you know, eight and a half Ks per, per nine innings. Uh, I think that's a reasonable upside to expect from Joe Musgrove this year. And I think he could, again, uh, on the uh, outside chance, could uh, give you maybe 160 in- innings. I'm not really expecting that. But again, that would be uh, be the upside. And uh, come through with uh, maybe about a, a mid-threes ERA. I don't even think that's, you know, given that he's pitching in PNC Park, I don't think that that's crazy uh, to think that's in the realm of possible. And a whip, uh, easy, if nothing else, Musgrove is a really good control pitcher. So I think with a low walk rate, that uh, and if he misses enough bats, again, best case scenario, maybe about a 1.20 uh, whip for Musgrove. Now, in terms of wins and losses, my least favorite thing to predict because I think there's quite a bit of randomness there. I don't think the Pirates are going to be great for run support, but I do think that uh, you know he could get, again, probably best-case scenario, maybe 11 or 12 wins. If you're asking me to take the over-under, I'm probably going to take the under just based on the innings uh, that I would expect. But again, best-case scenario, so hope that is helpful. Uh, next one from Brian underscore Muldoon. Does Mankata, uh, Mankata, excuse me, break out this year? I, I'm again. This is a, t- a tough one to uh, to answer definitively. I think there's the potential for a breakout because uh, if if he just cuts back the strikeouts, uh, you know, and I think that he's at a developmental stage where where that could happen, then that's going to be the rising tide that lifts all the boats in his stat line. And that was a terrible mixed metaphor, but I think it could happen. Uh, again, what I, if you're going to ask me to, you know, take the over under on let's say a 28 percent strikeout rate, I'm going to take the over on that. So I, if, if he's going to improve, I don't think it's going to be by a whole lot. So I would say I'm not expecting Mankata to break out. If you're going to you force me into a yes or no here, I'll say no. But it's possible. Next one from at HHB552. Should you trade trade Judge for Strasburg in a 10-team head-to-head points league? That's, uh, I mean, I think that would be a pretty fair trade. I personally, all things being equal, or as I sometimes say in the proverbial vacuum, I would rather have Judge than Strasburg. But... Um, you know, depending on what the or what the composition is of your roster, if you had outfield depth or just overall good hitting depth, and you needed uh, an ace, uh, then I would absolutely do that trade. So I think I think it's pretty close to a push, but again, all things being equal, I would rather have Judge than Strasburg. Next question from at JB Huskers. Uh, he says he's got one more draft tonight. Oh, what would I? What do I think about John Gray? A lot of suggestions to stay away. Some say he'll he'll hit uh, 200 Ks. I uh, I don't expect 200 Ks. I mean, if I've got a concern about John Gray, it's not Coors Field. I mean, he's pitched enough innings in his career now, and and home runs have not been a problem. So, um. I, the, my concern is not Coors Field. My concern is more innings for John Gray. And you know he's going to be the ace of that staff. So as long as he stays healthy, uh, the innings won't even necessarily be a problem. So, I, I mean, 200 Ks could be a possibility. I'm certainly not counting on it. Again, take the under if forced uh, to choose. But no, I, I would not avoid him. And uh, I don't have any shares in John Gray. And um, I've not especially targeted him, but I've also not especially avoided him either. So uh, I think he's, I think he's fine as a number four starter. I'll put it that way. And I, you know, if uh, I wound up being a little weak on pitching, I'd be okay with him as a number three. Not, it wouldn't be ideal, but I'd be more than happy to have him as a number four starter. So good luck to you in your draft tonight.
And next one at Mways Dwarf. Uh, let's see. Multiple inning relievers. Uh, Chad Green or uh, Brad Peacock? Anybody off the radar to target? Well, middle or multi-inning relievers, um, they're much less off the radar than they were even a year ago because everybody's, you know, hip to the fact that starters aren't going as deep, that, you know, guys like Green and Peacock can have a lot of value. They could, you know, potentially be top 30 pitchers overall. Um, so between Green and Peacock, I would give the edge to Peacock. Uh, I think he's going to give you more strikeouts just by virtue of probably pitching more innings. I, you know, I don't, I don't think Green has any realistic chance to start for the Yankees this year. But Peacock, uh, I think, has a very good chance at some point to make some starts for the Astros, enough uh, really to be a difference maker. So the only thing that gives me pause is that Green's got the better control. I also think he's a much, much bigger liability to give up home runs, even though he didn't last year. So the, for the overall package, I would rather a Peacock than, than Chad Green. In terms of off the radar, I mean, the guy that I like and I've targeted a bunch, but again, he's, he's not that well kept of a secret anymore is Yasmero Petit. Somebody who I thought was off the radar was Emilio Pagan, and I think it was Derek Van Riper. Somebody got him in, in Tout Wars uh, uh, just this weekend, much to my dismay. Um, but I do like Emilio Pagan. I like uh, Adam Morgan. He's pretty far uh, off the radar. So there's a few names for you. All right, so more questions to get to. Working at a good pace here. I think I might be able to get them all. But just to take a quick break here, I'll tell you about DailyRoto.com. Uh, dominate DraftKings and FanDuel Major League Baseball contests this summer with Daily Roto's MLB projections and optimizer. Go to DailyRoto.com slash premium and save 10% with the promo code FNTSY to use all the same tools and projections that Millionaire Maker winner Drew Digmeyer uses. And the tools don't just work for football. This is the very same site that Drew used for uh, for last year's top five, $150,000 DraftKings live final finish. So head over to dailyroto.com slash premium, save 10% with the promo code FNTSY, and see the results for yourself. All right, let's keep it going here. Uh, next question is from at Baffle99, B-A-F-L-99. What are some tips that I can give to a guy who's been in 10 and 12 team leagues who's jumping into a 20 team mixed roto deep draft help. Uh, well, I do love the mixed leagues. Um, so I, a couple of things that are, are sort of top of mind for me. One is, and and this was, I'm just going to be honest, a mistake I made at Tout Wars this weekend. Um, unfortunately, I always seem to make one or two mistakes every year. It wasn't a big one. But I preach uh, quite a bit on the show to have that uh, uh, that list, list of uh, endgame flyers ready. The deeper the league, the more that important that is. Um, I, I didn't have one because, you know, frankly, I think maybe just a little bit of overconfidence that I've been writing and talking about these guys so much that I pretty much knew who I was looking for. But I'll admit, I got surprised once or twice, like, oh, that guy's still out there. So in a 20-team mixed league, it's all the more important. Have that written down somewhere, you know, on your computer, whatever. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think it's actually not a bad idea to just have it literally written down just, you know, to be safe in case you've got a computer issue. So have that list prepared because, again, in a 12-teamer, um, you know, the, the, the shower league, I mean, the bigger the pool are of those end game options that that might have a ton of upside, but uh, there aren't a lot of secrets in a in a twenty team league. Not a lot of sleepers. So get your favorites, particularly the ones that you think are are pretty far off the radar. Uh, and I would also just say that uh, the deeper the league, then the harder it is to make up for gaps uh, via fab or via trade. So whereas I can sometimes be a, a, maybe a little cavalier in terms of drafting for saves or drafting for steals, that's not really a luxury you can afford in a deep league. So, uh, and again, to, just to go to an example from Tout Wars this weekend, again, just because it's top of mind and it's 
it's not quite as deep of a league, but uh, you know, a, a deeper league. Uh, I I went all out to get Ken, uh, Kenley Jansen because I you know I've learned from the last couple of years that it's really excruciating sometimes to try to come from behind on saves using Fab. So uh, give a little bit more priority to uh, uh, saves and steals or you know anything that's that could be scarce. And when I say saves, by the way. I mean the reliable closers because there are very, very few of them. And that's why I targeted Jansen because he's the best and the most consistent. So uh, give a little more emphasis uh, to, uh, you know, the, the, the stats that are scarce. Well, good luck uh, to you in your 20-team uh, draft. All right, a couple of questions from at Flickor, Flick uh, and then Or. Who do I like in the rotation battles between Santiago and Fulmer? And then for Pittsburgh, uh, Brault, Glasnow, Williams. Uh, I'll go with the easier one first. Uh, I do, and I like Carson Fulmer. I've got him in a few leagues, but I actually think that Santiago's got uh, the upper hand there. Uh, I like Fulmer's upside way better, but I just think that Santiago's the the, the more likely choice to uh, not only break uh, the, the opening day rotation, but uh, I think there's less implosion potential there. So he might uh, actually be able to hang on to that spot uh, for a good while. And then Pittsburgh, uh, again, you know, the safety pick, it would be Trevor Williams. Uh, I'd rather have Glasnow, though, unless it was uh, a, a deep league again. So this kind of gets back to the previous question. Where uh, you know if I I just I need innings and and I want to play it a little bit safer, I go Trevor Williams. But in most leagues, uh, I'd go with Tyler Glass now. Go with the upside there. And then Flickor's second question: Early predictions for Rookie of the Year MVP and Cy Young. Uh, all right, these are I don't think terribly exciting, but in AL I think it's Trout the MVP, Sale for the Cy. And uh, Glaber Torres for Rookie of the Year. I guess that one's could be maybe a little uh, uh, out of the mainstream. And the National League, I think it's Bryce Harper staying healthy, having uh, a great year and winning the MVP. Uh, Clayton Kershaw getting the Cy Young. And Ronald Acuna getting the Rookie of the Year. I know those are kind of snoozer picks, but I you know those are the ones I think that are going to win it. So hope that helps. All right, from at real Ryan McGarry, uh, can I create a trade that Mike Florio advised him on? Uh, he doesn't want to have to yell at Mike. So uh, $4 scope for a $9 Yelich. I do like the Yelich side better. So it's a winning trade, but it's a close trade. I'm going to give it a B minus, even a little better than a C plus. So I'd say B minus, uh, Ryan. So don't yell at Mike. And you should yell at Mike anyway. Uh, at CJ Rip 25. Who are some players that I like quite a bit but haven't ended up uh, with in any drafts? There were more of these than I realized. I actually I really looked into this because I thought, okay, it seems like I'm getting all my players that I like, particularly in the deeper, uh, in the later rounds. But in the early to mid rounds, uh, no Josh Donaldson, even though I think his ADP is uh, a, a nice value for you know somebody who's early. Um, Christian, I have no Christian Yelich. And no Starling Marte, and I have definitely tried to target them, but they don't come easy or cheap. No Wilson Contreras. Uh, no Aaron Nola, who I really like. Brad Hand, I think, is one of the great values at reliever, but apparently not so great that <laughs> I've been able to get him when I want him. Sorry, that made me laugh. That <coughs> made me cough. <laughs> Sorry about that. I can't, can't, can't cough while I'm on the air. Can't laugh while I'm on the air. All right. And then a few more uh, later rounds. Blake Snell, J- uh, Jordan Montgomery, and Justin Fowler. Dustin Fowler. I had to have no shares of them. So there are a few of these I didn't get to. I apologize, but we got to go to break. And then when I come back, we got Fred Zinke here. So stick around. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? 
But better yet, in the pocket of your khakis. Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. And as promised, Fred Zinke is with us here. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, just saw him last weekend at uh, Tout Wars. Fred's got a formidable-looking team, as he does uh, every year. And uh, active trader that he is, I'm looking forward to the uh, trade offers in my inbox. Uh, Fred, how are you doing? And uh, do you have any trades for me? I don't have any trades for you. I'm doing good. Uh, as I mentioned to you, actually, when we were talking earlier this week, I did think about making a trade offer, but then I backed off. <laughs> and so far, I've let my roster stand the way it is. And I I can't really say that I'm going to do that for long. But I might do that for long. I'm not panicking, I guess. Uh, good. Well, you know, you sound sound calm and, and you know, composed. So, uh, uh, you know, you should be happy with your roster. We're going to talk about it as a bit in a bit. Um You've also done a write-up on your Tout Wars auction, so I'm going to uh, reference that in a little bit as well. Uh, but, I, I, Fred, i got to get to some of your recent tweets uh, at first because mm-hmm. you're uh, stirring up some trouble on Twitter. So last week there was, I guess, a little bit of a debate about uh, tiers, and I, I think I, I'm not going to you know, put, try to put words in your mouth. I'm just going to try to paraphrase as best I can something along the lines that uh, telling people to draft using tiers is, is some of the worst advice we give. And, of course, that's advice that I give frequently on this show. So, <laughs> uh, and, I, and I used it at Tout Wars. And I, and I have to say, I'm, I'm, I was happy with the result because tracking tiers, particularly uh, with the first couple of tiers at each position, uh, helped me pull, uh, you know, uh, pull the, the, the bid on uh, Aaron Judge, Reese Hoskins, uh, Kyle Seeger. Uh, and Corey Kluber, you know, I'm so happy to have those guys. I'm happy with the prices I got them at. But what's what's just the basic uh, beef with with tiers? Well, I've always felt that the the reliance on tiers often then leads someone to uh, kind of prioritize them above sometimes pure value. So they have some players ranked similarly. They and then they'll often pick the one where they see the tier drop off coming soon. But that assumes that you need to pick a player from the next tier, which you don't, or the next tier from that, which again, you don't because, you know, I, I, in some of my teams, I end up with a top tier for what we would call a top tier first baseman. In some of my teams, I end up with, I guess what you would call like a fifth tier, sixth tier first baseman. Um, I'm more of a fan of assigning, you know, specific values to someone, whether it's specific points you expect them to get in a points league or a specific dollar value they're worth in a roto league. And then mostly taking the players in the early rounds who, who you have ranked as the highest at that point. And then I'm also more of a fan, instead of using tiers, of a little more of a bottom-up drafting approach where I'll have certain players or certain positions that I am quite confident I can, can get late in my draft. And then I will feel less pressure to fill those positions earlier on. So it's like as a tiebreaker, if there's a second baseman I just love – is consistently going in in round 25 or later in drafts, but I would be comfortable with him as my starting second baseman, then I, I don't feel any pressure to fill second base. doesn't mean I won't feel, sec- feel second base if, if there's a value I like, but it means maybe if there's a second baseman and a third baseman who I have ranked pretty much the same, I might take the third baseman instead. But I, I, just not, I just don't like the tiers. I feel like they're imprecise. Now, if someone wants to argue with me that, and I would totally accept the argument that we just can't be precise with – player projections I, I get that argument but i'm going to try to be as pre- precise as i can and i don't like grouping players because then we're not as precise well and and you already made my counter argument for me because i you know my increasing reliance on tears is, is correlated with my increasing skepticism that that i can be precise with projections and values um that said this the scenarios you're talking about um 
you know, I, I, I feel, think I played it both ways in that I kept, particularly early on, I really kept close track of tears. But then at the same time, uh, I waited quite a while to fill a shortstop because I knew that I really liked Cattell Marte. Once the top shortstops were gone, I felt like he was about as, I have him projected to be about as valuable as a, a lot of the shortstops that, you know, are beyond that big drop off after the first couple of tiers. So I, and I waited and waited and then I got Marte for a buck. So for me, these things kind of go together, um, you know, that you use tiers to, you know, see where you might be able to uh, fill a position uh, with a, with a, a, you know, a valuable player. And the, the mistake that I've made in past Tout Wars auctions is that I've waited too long and, and not had enough of the, you know, reliable big time producers. But, yeah, I think with, you know. with the Marte point, I think that that's really what I'm talking about with, with that kind of bottom-up drafting. That's, that's a really great example where you have Marte targeted. You basically know you can get him for a dollar. Or in a draft, you basically know you can take him at round 22 or something, and, and you'll almost never be blocked from doing that. And it doesn't mean you won't take a shortstop earlier if you really like the shortstop, right. but it, it would take you out of the tiers. Like if, if you're in, a, in round eight and, and Gene Segura is the last shortstop left in that tier, you wouldn't draft him. Because you would say, well, I don't really care about the next. I don't really care that he's the last shortstop left in this tier because I'm probably not even plunging into the next tier or the next tier anyways because I've kind of got my target with Marte. I'm I'm I just and I know what you mean. I like I like I said I kind of made your counter argument for you with <laughs> we just can't be. I know we can't be precise. That being said, I'm always going to strive to be as precise as possible. I get the best projections I can and try to squeeze like every projected dollar I can out of a draft for my opening day roster, knowing that I'm not perfect, but still, if I can get a, a $36 player over a $35 player on my projections, I, I'm going to do it like nine times out of 10 because over the course of a lot of picks, that adds up to a lot of projected dollars on my ranking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, point, point well taken. And then you also, uh, I think it was just earlier today, uh, tweeted out about how you like mock drafts even less than you like tiers. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't really want to uh, go deep into that partly because I, I really want to make sure we have time to talk about your auction. But um, I will say, I talked about earlier in the show that every, you know, every auction, I seem to make at least one regrettable error. And I can actually think of two that I made on Saturday. Uh, and one was overbidding on Justin Verlander. And the other was, and this is a stupid, simple one, not coming prepared with a sleepers list because I, I, you know, I talk about these guys every day. I write about them. So I just thought, oh, I know who my sleepers are. And yet there were people who did sort of slip through the cracks for me. Um, it, when you do mock drafts, my experience is, I mean, I don't do a ton of them, but it is a way to at least make some of the mistakes early. Uh, I mean, do you think there's any value in that? Okay, so so for sure, but what I think you can do, I'm like really in my life, I find big about time efficiency, and what I think you can do is in the time it would take you to do a mock draft, you can do like 10 mock drafts by yourself using ADP lists uh, or just using completed drafts. So instead of sitting in a mock draft and making decisions, like you can just take the completed list from someone else's mock draft or some other draft that actually even happened you know, if you, you just say find like the labor draft results that that happened back in February from the mixed league, and just take those results and just go through it with your own rankings, and do it. And you can do it in 15 minutes. Okay, if I'm picking fifth, who would I've taken? Who, you know, who would I've taken? Who would I've taken? Who would I've taken through each of the rounds? And then you can go back and think, okay, okay, there's my squad. What now? Looking back, do I wish I had done something differently? Oh, I really ended up light on pitchers. Okay, I'm, I kind of wish I'd taken this guy and then not this guy. And if you but you can do that in like 15 minutes and then you could take another draft and do the same thing. Or like I said, you can pick against the ADP and you could play it all out and then you could go back and say, okay, well, if I change this decision in round two, how would it play out now? And I just think for the hour and a half or whatever that you spend doing a mock draft, I just think you, can, you could do 10 mock drafts and just get more, more done. I think in that amount of time. So I'd rather just take ADP, take some of the expert league drafts, maybe the FSTA draft from January, and just start playing against it. And that's how I tend to get ready. I was really happy with my labor draft this year, and it was the first draft I did all year, mock or otherwise. But I had already kind of tested my plan against, you know, some draft results that were out at that point. 
No, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a good good alternative uh, for sure. Um, so let, let's talk about the your, your Tout Wars auction. Uh, did you feel like you made uh, any mistakes or anything that you regret looking back on it? Uh, I'm not, I, I can say not any big mistakes. There are a couple players. It's funny how you just, you go from rich to poor. Sometimes I wish I had saved maybe a few more dollars for the last like 20 minutes when, so I have some $1 players that I don't mind. Uh, had I had $2 for some of those spots, I think that I could have got some players that I liked better. So I don't mind Jose Peraza, for example, at a dollar as my shortstop. I think he's still like, like 24 this year. Like, he steals bases. At the same time, had I had another dollar, I think I could have got Zach Cozart, who went for two, or if I had a couple extra dollars. Uh, I don't mind David Peralta for a dollar. If I had a couple extra dollars, I probably would have gotten Cole Calhoun, who I like a little better. So I wish I had saved a little more money uh, for the end game, just a little bit more. Uh, you bought Aaron Judge for 39 I kind of wish I said 40 I had 40 on my sheet. Um, but I had already bought Goldschmidt for 40 and I might've already bought Rizzo for 37 and I know I'd already bought San Gary Sanchez for 30. So I just kind of hesitated. Maybe I, I don't know. I, I go back and forth on that one a little bit. Like there's some risks with judge, but the rewards so great in OBP league. So I don't have any massive regrets. I mean, I spent all my money and I'm happy with all my picks, but I, I could have auctioned again on Sunday and probably ended up with a different roster. Yeah, well, and I think that probably could be true for maybe everybody in the room. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, that definitely would have would have been true for me. Now, you mentioned Judge, and I'm glad you didn't go 40 because I don't think I would have gone 41. Yeah. Uh, but um, you in your uh, write-up that you did, and uh, folks should definitely go uh, check this out. Uh, you can access it on, on Fred's uh, Twitter account. And it's uh, – Fred, I don't have it right in front of me, Fred, but it's at Fred Zinke, right? At Fred Zinke, MLB. MLB, okay. Uh, so check that out if you, if you can. But uh, you said that your pre-auction plan was to build a core of Trout, Betts, Sale, Kluber, and Judge. That's way more specific than anything I've ever set out to do. Uh, why, why did you target particular players and why those players? So um, I, I thought I was going to buy Trout. I think you paid 51 for Trout last year. I was willing to go up to about 53, which I thought would get him. So mm-hmm. I thought I'd own Trout. Um, I thought I'd own Judge because I felt like I would have been kind of the, one of the high men on Judge going into draft season. And it turns out I really was. It's just you were just as high as I was on him. In, in a lot of my drafts, I'm finding that I either end up with Judge or when he goes, it's just not around a pick that I have, but I would have taken him. Um, and then I felt like last year I bought four basically $40 hitters, none of whom had any speed. And then I think that was a regrettable – I think that the Stars and Scrubs was fine, but not getting any steals was a bad idea. So I decided that if I was going to go heavy on Stars and Scrubs, I needed one base stealer – well, Trout and then another base stealer in that group. And that would probably be best because I knew Altuve would be really expensive. Um, and then I wanted to get two of the top four aces because last year – you, for example, took Kluber, or sorry, took Scherzer for 34. I took Bumgarner for 30. They were like Scherzer last year was about a top 10 pick in drafts. Bumgarner's around 15. I expected the prices for those big four to be around $34, what you paid for Scherzer, and they ended up being mm-hmm. basically 40. So I thought I could get two of those pitchers for, say, about $68. And in the end, it would have been about $80, and I wasn't willing to to go there. I was actually just a little shocked by it. And then I think too. And so that I just, and, and, you know, had to, had to reformulate my plan on the fly, which was fine with me. I, like I had contingencies in my head. Yeah. Well, clearly you did. And, and so you gear shifted big time because, because instead of going stars and scrubs, you really do have a lot of uh, players uh, in the, in the mid range. You mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned Odor, uh, Beltre for $10, Desmond for 10, Sousa for 11, uh, eaten for eight. So, you know, a very, uh, I mean, was that, was that intentional when you said, you know, you had contingencies in mind that if yeah. you didn't get that core, you're going to go this route. Pretty much. I mean, I, I felt like, and I did go a little stars and scrubs. Like I bought Goldschmidt, Rizzo and Sanchez. Those are three really high priced players. Uh, but then I felt like once, once I didn't get trout, I felt like, okay, there's a lot of money I can reinvest, which means that maybe I should start looking for players who I believe are deals. And I kind of ended up, not on purpose, but I kind of ended up around, I didn't end up in the 20s on a lot of players. I ended up kind of around the $10 mark. Players who I feel like are 
well, well above replacement level, clearly not stars, but well, well above replacement level, like the players you just mentioned. And then same with my pitching staff. When I knew that I wasn't going to get one of the big four, I made sure I got an ace, but then I knew I would have to back up that ace with a better number two and three starter than I was basically going to plan on having almost no number three starter, just two of the big four and then a bunch of $1 starters. But I knew I'd have to back that up with, you know, I, I ended up with James Paxton and Jeff Samarja and Charlie Morton, who I really like. Um, so now my, my staff is a little more balanced because I don't have someone like Kershaw at the front of it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's a, if you don't get the, uh, you know, the big four, it's, it's, it's a tough slog because there's not, not a lot of safety really beyond, uh, the, that the second tier of starters. Uh, so you mentioned your write up, you went for Samarja because of the, the reliable innings. Um, so you got him for 12, you got Charlie Morton for four. Uh, obviously the, the quantity of innings is not reliable for Morton, but, to me, it felt like a similar move that I made getting Lance McCullers at nine. Um, which which value do you like better? Your Morton for four or my McCullers for nine? I, I, I just like Morton for four because he was $5 cheaper, I, I'd say. I think that they're actually – I think I, I get that McCullers is like – has a higher ceiling than Morton, but I'd say McCullers is at least as risky from an injury perspective. Um, so I, you know, I feel like I'm not counting on more than 150 innings or something from either one of them, maybe 150 kind of the tie end or 160 at the, at the high end. So, but good innings and on a, and on a, and on a really good team, you know, where they could be, yeah. could, could be, you know, really successful as far as getting wins if they can pitch well. So, you know, I, I think those are both good deals. Well, uh, that's good. Uh, good diplomatic way to end it, Fred. So <laughs> I, I, I like I like the Morton a lot uh, for it. Anyways, Fred, we're out of time, but thank you so much for joining me, and good luck this year. Yeah, for sure. You too, Al. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's a wrap for today. I'll be back tomorrow, same time, same station. Have a good one.